Welcome to another episode of Talking with Apples. Today we have an exciting topic where we'll be talking about Swift UI. And my guest today is Majid. He's an indie developer. He also blogs at Swift UI Blog and he's the curator of Swift UI Weekly. Yeah, welcome, Majid. Hi, PJ. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so um, this has been a long time coming. Uh, Swift UI is a really, really exciting topic, um, and I've been wanting to chat about it for a very long time. So thanks for being on the podcast today. And yeah, I kind of want to just kind of start off with Swift UI. Um, what is it? So I think I think may, there might be a bunch of people out there that are listening to this podcast. They might even be from the Android side of things, and they're thinking like, "What is the Swift UI that people are talking about?" Maybe you can kind of start out um, and tell us a little bit about what Swift UI is. Yeah, it's a pretty good question to start. So Swift UI is a new declarative framework that we can use to build user interfaces on all Apple platforms. Yeah, we can use Swift UI for. Apple Watch development, for tvOS development, iOS and macOS development. You just write the same code and it works everywhere. Okay. Yeah, I think I think that's pretty interesting because uh, previously we would have to write um, an app for kind of like each platform, let's say. You'd have to write a macOS app um, and you'd have to write an iPhone app. And then I guess... Um, with Apple Watch, you kind of add a target to your um, to your um, iOS application, but now you can kind of just write one app and it just kind of deploys everywhere, which I think is really, really great. Um, but I mean, from that point of view, we previously used to have this um, this system or this UI um, this UI toolkit called UIKit. Uh, what makes Swift UI um, different from UIKit itself? Yeah, so the main difference between the SwiftUI and UIKit is the approach. So SwiftUI uses declarative approach where the UIKit is using imperative one. So what does it mean? Imperative, imperative style, this is the way when you define every action step by step. So for example, you create a view controller, Inside the view did load, you can create a label, set the font, set the text, and then you call add subview. So you uh, define all the steps, all the actions you want to do. On the other case, when you use SwiftUI, it's similar to HTML. So when you are writing some HTML code, you don't create the paragraph. You just put the P and the content. That's it. You just declare what you want to achieve, and SwiftUI uh, and the framework decide how to achieve this result. So this is the main difference. Okay. Yeah, I think I think that's a um, that, that's quite a quite a big difference there itself. Because I mean, yeah, I think people would think about it definitely as you kind of have to set the label first, and you have to set certain things, and it kind of goes in order. Um, whereas, like with SwiftUI, um, like you mentioned, you kind of just let the framework do um, a lot of the work for us. Um, but when we're creating these views, you're kind of speaking about this declarative approach um, versus the imperative approach. Um, I think the, the style of developing with Swift UI um, versus UIKit, where we kind of had, you mentioned something like add subview, um, we kind of don't do that anymore. 
Um, yeah. We and we don't use we don't use stuff like constraints anymore when we're in Swift UI. Maybe we can kind of just go go through um, what that process kind of looks like. Yeah. So as I said before, in Swift UI, you, you have to define the final result, the result you want to achieve, and then Swift UI framework decides how to implement this uh, result. For example, you can use uh, label or maybe some form on macOS. It works uh, using uh, NS uh, NS table view. On iOS, it uses UI table view and so framework itself decides how to use, how to implement your uh, final result. Um, so the, another thing um, uh, is that every view in SwiftUI is a function of the state. So this is pretty functional approach uh, where the views derives from the state. Um, it means you have a piece of state and you just use it inside the view. Uh, SwiftUI tracks all the changes uh, in that pieces of state. And as soon as uh, state changes, SwiftUI automatically update your views. So SwiftUI uses uh, efficient different algorithms to find uh, changed parts of your app and update the only needed views. Not all the views, only the views that depend on the uh, depends on the changed state. So this okay. is another thing uh, where SwiftUI and UI get a little different. Okay, yeah, I think I think that's that's kind of an important point there because I mean, um, at the end of the day, we we would probably um, in the in the old UI kit way we would probably go and kind of have a, de a definition of what something should be, and then we would try and like update it. Um, by by kind of like setting it again, and then sometimes you would even have to redraw the whole screen. Um, um, we used to call layout if need. Um, um, I think that's the method it's called. Um, but yeah, um, and yeah, you'd pretty much have to do that um, in order to uh, to to pretty much um, draw the whole screen or redraw something. Um, and I think that even comes down to stuff like animations and stuff like that, where I think the the whole UI animation flow, um, UI um, UI view animations and core animations are completely different now in Swift UI. Um, yeah, um, can you maybe tell us a little bit how that um, that realm works? Because it it seems that um, animations have become a lot more easier to to do in Swift UI. Yeah, so. Animation is one of the powerful things in SwiftUI because, uh, so as I said before, uh, SwiftUI tracks the state, uh, tracks the state changes, and as soon as state changes, it updates the views. For example, if you have a view that depends on the state, and for example, you can use the, uh, you have a state, for example, it is uh, eggs offset, and uh, this state can change, and SwiftUI will automatically uh, animate the state changes. So, for example, if your view uh, uses the offset from uh, 0 to 10, and SwiftUI track these changes, and automatically translate your view from one position to another. You don't need to do anything. You just uh, attach the animation modifier, and that's it. 
So okay. you can model complex and interruptible animations using this approach. Uh, all you need to do is to change some state uh, and the views that uses that state will animate automatically using SwiftUI. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, I think I think that does make things a lot more powerful because I think you you might have even had to like um, in SwiftUI you'd had to um, not in SwiftUI in UIKit you'd have to kind of like um, redo the animation um, or recall the animation with different values instead of it kind of like based on the state kind of just automatically changing um, and reacting like you mentioned um, to those specific um, values changing, which is really really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and I think, and I think um, you even just touched on um, an important point there. Um, with SwiftUI, do we still have a life cycle? Um, so, I'm sure people are used to like view did load and view will appear and all of those type of things. Um, and now with SwiftUI, like, um, well, what is the status of having a life cycle um, within our application? Yeah, so every view should define a body property. So in this body property, you define your layout of the view. And SwiftUI can run this body a lot of times. It should be as soon as it should be really it should be really fast. Uh, so SwiftUI will run it every time when it wants to change to check the changes in your view. So it should be really fast and yeah, well, you have also two modifiers like on appear and on disappear, which you can use mm, for lifecycle events. It it, it look it's like uh, view will appear and view will disappear in UI kit, but yeah. you don't have uh, view did load here. Okay, okay, yeah, because I mean, I think even even we had like um, did pause and all of the um, on pause and all of those type of things. Or is that that could have been Android? Um, but like, yeah, um, that's that's really really cool. Because I think I think sometimes you do need to know when the the view when something did appear on on the specific view, um, or if it's actually now not being shown to the user. Um, so yeah, um, I think I think I think that's a really really important thing for people to know about um, the specific lifecycle um, of SwiftUI, um, that we don't have all those other methods like um, awake from nub um, and all of those type of things anymore. Yeah, so lifecycle is much simpler here. You don't have uh, a lot of methods that uh, UIKit will run from one to one. another one. Yeah, in SwiftUI, you just have uh, body property, which define the layout of the view. You can attach some appear and disappear modifiers to uh, control a little bit behavior. For example, you can just fetch the data when you appear and stuff like that, or cancel the long-running events when you disappear. Okay, yeah, and I think I think that's cool because I think sometimes you do just need that little bit of um, that little bit of um, notice from the system to say, hey. Um, something is off view now, um, or something just appeared on view. Um, so at least giving giving us developers those two lifecycle methods um, is is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, and I think you've been talking a lot about state. Um, and I think uh, with SwiftUI, we've kind of um, state is something that's really really important. 
um, kind of knowing the state, being able to track state um, and knowing when things are changing. And it kind of puts us in this whole reactive model um, and how we kind of also bind specific elements to specific um, values in order for it to know that something is changing. And I think um, Swift UI has obviously come with um, a few things, a few property wrappers um, that they've created um, around like binding and um, state and um, environmental um, objects and stuff like that. Um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about that and um, why those are, are important for us to to kind of know and, and how it helps us within um, our daily development um, when using SwiftUI. Yeah, so property wrappers. So this is one, one of the new Swift language features that powers uh, SwiftUI framework. So anytime when you see uh, add sign in variable declaration, you should know that there is some additional logic behind that variable. So this is property wrapper. So we use property wrappers uh, to wrap a variable with additional logic. Uh, for example, in SwiftUI, we have a bunch of them. And one of the most important uh, property wrapper in SwiftUI is add state. So state property wrapper. Uh, so as you might know, uh, SwiftUI views is immutable structs. And we can't uh, have a mutating state inside mutating variables inside uh, SwiftUI uh, views. That's why uh, Apple engineers provide us state property wrapper. So state property wrapper, think like a box. So this is uh, allocate, state property wrapper allocating uh, memory space uh, out of the SwiftUI struct, struct view. Uh, and you can easily connect and read and write data uh, to that uh, memory. So it works using uh, struct property wrapper. Um, we also have binding property wrapper uh, in SwiftUI. Um, and this one tries to provide us reference-like access to a value type. So, so uh, assume that you have a string, uh, and string is the value type. And as soon as you pass the string into another view, it just copies. Uh, it just you can uh, you just pass another copy uh, of your string to another view. But sometimes you need to uh, pass the string, but also you have to mutate it and uh, deliver this mutation back to the source view, right? And this is where binding shines, we use binding because binding provides us uh, read and write uh, access to the value owned by a source of truth. Uh, yeah, so source okay. of truth, uh, we have a bunch of property wrappers that can act as a source of truth uh, in SwiftUI. So for example, it can be observed object, it can be environment object, it can be also state, and all of them you can pass as uh, binding to another view to provide a reference-like uh, access to the data. Okay. Yeah, and I think I think that's that's super cool because you um, we kind of have this reactive model, and 
I think, well, we, we have the Swift UI this declarative model. And like you mentioned, um, something that's pretty important that we have um, structs that are immutable. So um, changing, changing values there um, becomes a little bit hard. Um, so I think obviously having these property wrappers that allow us to, to kind of like change state or react to, to specific state or react to specific variables changing, um, I think is something that's needed, um, for the system to kind of work, um, at the end of the day. Otherwise, um, we might struggle to, to actually get data from, um, some kind of web service and actually then react to the view that, like you mentioned previously, is already in its final state. Um, and it can only really change um, based on some kind of like um, observable or reactive um, kind of like, let's say, framework, um, if you would say. Yeah, exactly. So uh, as, uh, as I said before, uh, SwiftUI, always observe the state and all the views derived from that state. That's why we have uh, a lot of tools to main, to define and maintain our uh, data, data flow and state in, the, uh, in SwiftUI. So, and so, and the framework tries to observe all these uh, property wrappers uh, and change and diff, uh, diff the view to update only needed parts of your app. Yeah, no, I think I think that's really really cool, um, and I think I think it's a, a definitely the um, it's great that Apple kind of like provided us with those implementations instead of us having to either kind of like figure out our own way of doing it or kind of even just using um, third party some kind of third party framework. Um, and I know that a lot of um, iOS developers previously to kind of get this kind of similar, uh, well, similar approach, um, I would say, um, in terms of like um, an, a reactive way of um, connecting to UIKit, um, they would use like RxCoco um, with RxSwift and kind of do something similar um, in that aspect. Yeah, a lot of that things we have right now using just binding property wrapper in SwiftUI. Yeah. No, so I mean, I think I think that's really really great, and I think this kind of even just segues us um, into how um, Apple has even kind of like changed their um, recommended approach with SwiftUI when it comes to architecture. So I think where Apple's always gone with um, MVC, um, some people know it as Massive View Controller. Mm -hmm. um, and and now we kind of have the approach of with SwiftUI, people are saying that we should um, use MVVM. Um, well, um, why do you why do you think the um, that specific change or that specific approach um, is better um, for SwiftUI and not for us to still continuously technically using MVC even though we don't have a controller? Um, yeah. Yeah, so basically we don't have controllers here. We just yeah. we only have uh, views, and the role of uh, the role of controllers uh, really inside the framework itself, because the framework itself maintains all these things like uh, tracking changes of your state. So kind of um, in NVC we usually have controller that tries to mediate 
to be a bridge between a model and the view. But here we have the framework itself, CFTI framework, tracks all the state changes and pass the data to the view as soon as these changes uh, appear. Uh, that's why we don't have uh, MVC here, but yeah, and it, it looks like the preferred way of doing data flow of managing the state uh, is MVM here because we have this um, observable object uh, protocol uh, which is generates for you like it looks like it generates for you a view model so you just create a, another class maybe it can be a user view model you just uh, implement the uh, observable object protocol uh, and that's it safety uh, I will automatically track all the changes inside this view model uh, which you marked as using published property wrapper so it works like a magic and there are actually <laughs> some uh, Swift UI uh, there is some Swift compiler magic uh, actually so yeah I think this is the preferred way of doing uh, architecture right now but we'll see maybe in uh, WWDC 21 we'll see some new things maybe some new best practices that uh, Apple engineers will provide us. Okay, yeah. Because, I mean, I have seen um, a bunch of other approaches. I mean, you can kind of um, achieve some kind of MVVM um, if you kind of just consider, um, In I'm talking about in UIKit now, if you just kind of consider the, the view controller and the view as one um, and kind of have your own view model that you're creating. Um, but then, yeah, like you mentioned, um, the the protocol um, observable object kind of like helps you um, with that and the system kind of takes care of it with the publish um, annotation. Um, it kind of reacts to anything, any variable that's kind of like marked to that. Um, and I've even seen some people um, creating different composable architectures um, and doing a whole bunch of other different things. Um, but I mean, I think, I think MVVM is also quite a solid um, architecture because it also is a really good architecture when it comes for um, when you when you're looking at testing um, your code in terms of unit testing um, yeah yeah so there is no silver bullet for all the projects yeah because uh, everything comes with its own set of pros and cons and for example one of my favorite um, my data flow approach or maybe Architectures use unidirectional flow and the, uh, the composable architecture. It's, yeah, it's really shines in SwiftUI because, uh, as we said before, SwiftUI views and SwiftUI app derives from the state. So the composable architecture says that we have we have to store the whole app state, the whole uh, state of our app inside the single struct. Not, not a single struct, but you can compose multiple structs inside a single one. And as soon as this huge struct changes, SwiftUI will update uh, the whole app and it will update uh, the needed parts of the of the app. Yeah, so for example, if you have uh, two screens, for example, you have a master detail flow. Uh, in the first screen, you have a list of items. You Select the item, go to the details, for example, mark as, uh, mark it as, as favorite, 
So you want to see the star icon, for example, in the list, and you have to somehow uh, propagate this change back to the previous view, right? And usually we use delegate uh, to communicate between two screens, but this is really mm -hmm. error-prone approach because you can just forget about delegate. But uh, in case of, for example, decomposable architecture, uh, as soon as that view will change, the whole app will be updated, and uh, the whole places where you use where you use that item will be marked as star because uh, you have the only uh, so you have single source of truth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I think I think that makes sense um, with with uh, with the current approach that um, SwiftUI is taking. Um, in this whole reactive uh, model, reactive um, and functional model, um, because it, it also seems like we're we're starting to write a lot more functional, um, well, functional constructs within the code that we're we're developing with SwiftUI um, versus um, just kind of like that imperative approach um, that we've always kind of been doing. Um, so I think I think I think that's great. Um, and do you think that that actually just thinking about functional programming, I think a lot of people see that as 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 quite a difficult way of writing pro, um, apps or um, writing programs in general. Um, do you do you feel that um, this kind of like creates a learning curve for people um, that yeah, we, um, having this functional and reactive approach? Yeah, we used to live in object oriented. Uh, world, but yeah, I'm not sure that it's more difficult. But it's it it is different, but not uh, the difficult. So you have to maybe read something, some articles about it, but it's uh, not difficult. And it probably okay. uh, provides you a lot of safety uh, out of the box. So I think it's worth to check and uh, learn this approach also. No, definitely. Um... I'm kind of I'm a very big um, fan of functional programming. So um, with with these new approaches kind of coming in, um, and I think obviously Swift being kind of like a functional language, not obviously fully functional like Haskell um, or Erlang or something like that, but it has functional constructs um, that we can use um, to write kind of like more of a functional approach um, when it comes to to developing. Um, our application. So I think I think obviously Swift being being kind of like that type of language um, kind of lends itself really well to the approach of Swift UI and these kind of reactive approaches that um, seems to be really popular um, going forward. Yeah. So. SwiftUI uh, also uh, encourage a lot of changes in Swift language. And I think this is the best uh, part of framework itself, that we have a lot of new features in the language itself. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and I think, I think that's, that's also, it's a really, really good, it's really good for us because we also kind of pushing the language while the, the framework's also pushing the language to its kind of like, um, to kind of like its end, um, kind of like it's not its end state, but kind of like to its limits. Um, 
where we can see how powerful and um, swift actually is um, at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, and kind of even just talking about like powerful frameworks. Um, when when SwiftUI dropped, we also got another framework that dropped, and that was kind of combined. And combined in SwiftUI and SwiftUI is kind of like uh, like a match made in heaven. Um, where everything just kind of like works together, like really, really great. Um, maybe we can kind of just give us a, um, a, a lowdown on what, um, combined is and, and how it works really, really well with SwiftUI. Yeah. So combined is a framework that provides us a declarative Swift, uh, Swift APIs for processing values over time. So. Uh, it uh, allows you to chain, transform, and reuse multiple operations. Uh, so, for yeah, you you can use combine uh, with framework, but this is not the rule. You can use just uh, the only thing you can use from the combine is the observable object protocol because it comes from combine. Uh, to build your view models, yeah, but you can still use your closure-based APIs with um, using closure and uh, that brings you that uh, closure callback hell. Yeah, but <laughs> on the other side, combine uh, is also declarative and it allows you easily, uh, easily operate, uh, yeah, chain multiple, uh, multiple jobs in background and bring them to the main thread. Uh, yeah, so it's a really powerful thing. And I think it's also uh, worth uh, checking and learning and uh, to, to use it uh, in your, because every every app that I built use some asynchronous job to make some requests using network, maybe uh, to local database, write files. And usually we have to use closure-based APIs to handle all this asynchronous callbacks and it's really hard to um, maintain disclosure callbacks or maybe return from the error state where the combined chains really shines and allows you easily or easily handle the state of your operations. Okay, yeah, and I, and I think that's, that's also um, some uh, interesting thing that you said there is that you kind of don't have to use combined. Um, but the thing is, when you do use combined, I think you kind of get a really seamless experience um, with working with UI and then obviously having um, changing values over time or doing some kind of asynchronous operations. Um, that kind of makes it a lot easier um, when you're kind of using it with um, combined. And I think even with combined, you have very similar constructs to uh, or something like Rx Swift, where you have um, publishers, um, you have observables, you have futures even, um, and and you also have a whole bunch of functional constructs like mapping and flat mapping, um, and all of those operations that you get um, within within the the combined framework also just lends itself, um, like you mentioned. To, to transforming your data, let's say, and presenting it to your SwiftUI view in a reactive way a lot easier. 
Yeah, so combine just like Rx Swift, and if you know Rx Swift, you can easily just uh, move to combine. Yeah, the only thing that the combine framework is uh, really faster than uh, Rx Swift. The latest page benchmarks show that it's really fast. I'm not sure how they build that the framework, but it's really fast. So yeah, you can easily just move from the Rx Swift to combine. Okay. Yeah, and I think I think that's quite interesting now that you mentioned um kind of performance because I think I think that's also something that people might think about with these new frameworks coming out. Um are they a lot more performance? So like you mentioned Swift UI, um well you mentioned combined versus RX Swift. Um but when it comes to UI kit, let's say, versus Swift UI, um are there any like benchmarks of performance? Um enhancements that you get with using SwiftUI versus UIKit? Um, do views load faster? Um, do you, is there a lot, like you said, there's a lot less operations with life cycles. Um, so do you get any performance benefits um, by using SwiftUI um, over UIKit? Yeah, I'm not sure about performance because uh, I didn't have any performance issues with UIKit also in SwiftUI because, yeah, you know, the whole work is on the framework side so you don't have a lot of uh, opportunities to optimize uh, the code in swift ui because usually you just define the final result and framework itself decide how to implement it uh, under the hood okay yeah so uh, i'm not sure about performance it looks very similar to ui kit but yeah but it allows you to uh, iterate really faster so you can just work on the feature in a really fast way uh, just prototyping UIs is so much easier in Swift UI that uh, really 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 easy to work on the new features for the, for the users yeah and I think I think that's also quite important um, in terms of productivity um, it seems like a lot of people think that Swift UI helps with productivity, um, and it it actually um, it like you're saying um, you can prototype a lot faster, you can create screens a lot faster, which means that um, there is a benefit of using Swift UI um, over UI Kit because sometimes constraints can be a headache and they kind of don't work as you expected sometimes. Um, and yeah, actually building the views um, with 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 that specific framework um, can also be a headache sometimes. Yeah, in the previous days when I use uh, when I use UIKit, I spent a lot of time mostly in in designing, in uh, implementing views, constraints, uh, and stuff like that. Uh, nowadays, when I uh, all my apps use SwiftUI, and uh, I spent. Um, a lot of time on you when implementing some features on the model side. I mean, uh, when I uh, implement the actions itself, uh, I just spent a little time in uh, view files where I just previewing uh, the result. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and I think I think that's I think that is something, and I definitely agree. Like that is something that is. Um, definitely going to make 
a lot more iOS developers want to move to building um, apps with SwiftUI because, yeah, I do remember also always spending more time on the UI than I would um, on the on the actual logic because, yeah, like sometimes UI can be very tricky, especially when you have uh, multiple screen sizes. Um, and like you even mentioned, you can actually develop the same UI and um, put it on an iPad or put it on uh, Mac OS um, and put it on um, Apple Watch and you almost, the system kind of like handles um, whatever that component's supposed to look like for that specific platform. Yeah, and this is one of the best things about uh, software because for me, I built uh, health-oriented uh, apps like Cardiobot and Navbot and all of them works on uh, watchOS and uh, I don't have... Uh, uh, different. I, I didn't write different code for the watches because uh, usually just runs as is and looks awesome on uh, watches also. Yeah, and I think I think that that is um, really important. Like that people kind of need to just realize. So um, yeah, I think I think that's that's one of the biggest benefits um, of actually using SwiftUI um, is actually being able to also have it on all Apple's platforms. Um, in a in a much easier way, and also then again, you're sharing all the logic, um, like you you pretty much have one code base that's shared amongst different platforms, which is also really really nice, um, and yeah, and I think I think um, something that I kind of um, just thought about now is is something to is is navigation um, with SwiftUI. So we used to have. Um, well, we still have it with with UIKit, but um, we we have this model of you kind of like doing segways and navigation controllers, um, and I think I think that whole model was always um, could kind of also be tricky at some point um, to to use, um, and you wouldn't know you could. There were so many ways to kind of navigate to a different screen. Um, that like yeah you could you could be pushing through your view controller your navigation controller um and now you now swift ui kind of has a different approach with kind of like navigation links um maybe you can kind of like give us a little bit of um information on how that works yeah so first of all uh, swift ui uses navigation view which is under the hood is ui navigation controller yeah so this is the, the <laughs> okay. ui kit api that uh, wrapped and used in SwiftUI, and that's why I don't like it at all. Yeah, so <laughs> uh, navigation link uh, is a button uh, that activates uh, transition to another view. So under the hood, uh, it uses push view controller uh, method that we have in UI navigation controller, and it pushes then another view into the stack of uh, UI navigation controller and, and I hope that we'll get the native uh, functional and declarative approach to navigate between views using, in Swift UI because this one is not working very well because yeah when standard under the hood it uses the old way old-fashioned way and sometimes it doesn't work very well in the world of Swift UI yeah but it look it looks on the side of the API not so bad because navigation link is just that um, you provide the destination so the view you want to uh, go after the 
clicking the button and that's it. But you can't control anything uh, in this transition. You can't control the transition itself. Uh, uh, so yeah, I hope to see more uh, powerful API for navigation during this uh, WWDC. Yeah, that's that's definitely on my wish list too. Because I'm also not a big fan of of um, the way navigation is done. Um, I think uh, I think the the API itself could could be a little bit better. I even think it's a little bit confusing sometimes um, because you kind of just can't uh, like just have a place and say this is my destination, this is where I want to go. System just kind of take care of it. You kind of have to kind of like wrap your whole view in this kind of navigation link. And like, it's kind of, it's like weird. Um, um, that's how I kind of see it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah. And I think um, another thing that I noticed that SwiftUI has kind of done really well. And I think it's something that we always as developers kind of forget about is accessibility. So I think accessibility is really, really important. Um, but a lot of the time, like, it's not always um, a priority um, for development teams. Um, but with SwiftUI, it seems like they've kind of made it a priority um, and they've built it into the system. Um, and that even comes with, like, even um, dark mode kind of comes with um, with that. Um, yeah, maybe you can just chat a little bit around um, accessibility and how that kind of works with SwiftUI versus um, how it was in UIKit. Yeah, so both UIKit and uh, SwiftUI provide you accessible uh, elements, accessible views out of the box, and usually you don't have to do anything to have an accessible app. But yeah, you can, sometimes you need, sometimes you can improve the accessibility tree because uh, the user experience in VoiceOver is a little bit different. And in, in this way uh, of doing accessibility, SwiftUI is really shiny because it provides you uh, more flexible more flexible tools, more flexible modifiers to control the accessibility tree. So you can, for example, easily group uh, multiple views into one accessibility container. Uh, so, yeah. It's really easy, as yeah. SwiftUI is provides you usually a very easy API in in terms of modifiers to uh, add some accessibility stuff to your views. Uh, so it's also out of the box. You have this uh, dynamic type support, uh, dark and light mode themes. It comes uh, out of the box, but we also have it. Uh, in UI kit and it's also out of the box so you don't have to do anything. Yeah, so in terms of accessibility, Apple uh, done a really great job and it's really easy to make your app accessible for everyone. Yeah, and I think I think that's really, really good because I think it's a, it's kind of an important um, it's an important part of, of us building um, applications today um, to just make it accessible to, to pretty much everyone. Um, and I think I think that even just kind of like segues me into um, testing because um, when we when we're obviously testing when we're doing UI tests um, 
how we, we kind of like, well, I want to make sure that these, these features are working correctly um, when someone's clicking on it or if someone is using the accessibility features, um, if they're obviously getting the correct values being said to them um, or whatever that might be. Um, so um, when it comes to UI testing, um, well, what is the approach? Are we, are we still using um, XEUI test um, or... Are we always there a different approach um, to to testing our Swift UI views? Yeah, so the approach is pretty pretty same because you know uh, Xcode provides us XE test framework, uh, which is under the hood use accessibility APIs to uh, access the view items, access to view properties, to check all of them. Uh, and yeah, we use the same approach in UI Kit, and we. The same approach works very well in uh, SwiftUI because both UIKit and SwiftUI uh, provides you accessibility support out of the box. That's why we can re easily reuse uh, XCTest, uh, XCUI test uh, in SwiftUI, and the approach is pretty same. Okay, yeah. So that's that's really cool. At least at least that kind of makes it a lot easier um, for developers to. Um, to to pretty much have the same approach of testing their views, um, and they don't kind of have to change their mental model on how they would need to actually write tests for um, for for these new views that they're going to be creating um, with SwiftUI. Um, yeah, but yeah, um, for at that point, yeah. So I don't. Um, that's kind of all I have for today. I don't know if you if you feel like there's anything that we've missed because we've spoken about a lot today, um, and we've gone through quite a few topics um, around Swift UI, even combined um, and architecture and all of that. Um, is there anything else that you feel that um, would be beneficial to our listeners um, around Swift UI? Yeah, I think we forgot about uh, previews, live previews, because uh, so Xcode provides yeah. live previews, and this is a unique way to check the code that you wrote, and without running the simulator, you just uh, running the live preview side by side with the code, typing the views, adding new views, and you can immediately check it in the side by side in the live preview canvas. Yeah, and I would like to mention that live previews uh, also support UIKit. So you can easily wrap your UIKit controllers, UIKit views to use them in SwiftUI. And that's why you can, and yeah, and previews uses SwiftUI views to render previews. And that's why you can easily wrap your UIKit stuff with SwiftUI protocols and run them uh, inside the live previews. You can uh, you can preview your views in different environment settings. For example, you can just uh, run it in uh, with different size categories, with different dynamic type uh, of settings, different uh, themes like dark or light. You can just by running your code side by side inside uh, Xcode, you can just check how it looks without running. Uh, simulator and I think this is really cool. Yeah, definitely. I think I think that's actually something that is very important um, because I think I think that's also quite an important feature where you will probably 
<laughs> like developing a screen um, and it could have been like five screens into your application. Um, and for you to be able to, yes, you could build it, but to see it actually work with your code, you'd pretty much have to go all the way into the um, into the app, log in, go through a few screens and then get there. And they're like, oh no, it doesn't work as expected. Um, whereas now, obviously, like you mentioned with the previews, um, it kind of gives us um, that specific um, viewing capability and even running the screen and interacting with it um, capability, which is also really, really powerful. Yeah, thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, and yeah, you can run your preview. So what does it mean? You can just, uh, you can interact with your previews. You can uh, check how animation works. If you are working on some, for example, uh, interactive view that have uh, some animation gestures and stuff like that you can easily run play uh, your view in the preview and interact uh, with it without running simulator yeah uh, i forgot when i used simulator last time <laughs> yeah yeah exactly i think i think we've all kind of been spoiled by preview um to the point where we kind of don't, we kind of just run the, the um, simulator only when we want to kind of like test the full application. But when we're just kind of creating specific views, it's it's very simple to just kind of um, test it like right there and there um, in, in kind of the preview, um, which is great. Um, yeah. And and while one other thing that you did mention now, which which kind of, um, reminded me a little bit about this is kind of like Swift UI doesn't have well I don't know if it has at the moment but it doesn't have every single component that UI kit has when it comes to UI and I think I think that's probably what people are waiting for in order to um, kind of like switch um, to 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 kind of like fully use Swift UI um, that could be a reason um, but yeah, I know that there is obviously, like you mentioned, the integration um, for you to use your UI kit views or maybe even views that you've kind of like created as part of your design system within your company. Um, now you want to move to Swift UI um, and you actually want to still use some of these design components and not redevelop them. Um, that integration um, can be quite, um, quite seamless. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, I think um, the fact that you that not all the components are there um, kind of is also not great. Yeah, so it's definitely not great, but uh, I'm not sure that we have to wait to have all the components in SwiftUI. You can easily just wrap your entire controller, entire UIKit controller uh, into SwiftUI view. For example, yeah, so one of the downsides of SwiftUI is uh, the screens with text fields, uh, the forms with text fields where you want to go programmatically from one, uh, when you want to uh, switch the focus programmatically, for example, you, know, you have the login screen where you have the uh, email text field and password and you want to uh, go, go from email to password, right? By tapping the next button in the keyboard and you can't control this kind of things uh, in SwiftUI, but you can easily wrap the whole uh, UI key controller and use it in SwiftUI. But yeah, you can 
do a lot of things in Swift UI much faster than UIKit. So, but sometimes you have to use, still use UIKit. Yeah, I, and I think I think I think that's also important when it comes to kind of like learning because. Um, I noticed that I think a lot of people that are getting into iOS development now with kind of like, you know, Swift firstly, um, a great language. And then now you have this new framework that's kind of declarative and a lot easier to work with. Um, and it's not as daunting um, as UI kit and constraints and figuring out that works. Um, a lot of people are kind of like jumping straight into Swift UI, building amazing views. Um, but when they kind of get you know, when you kind of get to the point where you need to kind of like implement this type of logic um, and you kind of see some of the um, the kind of like the downsides of Swift UI, you kind of still need to know a little bit of what's kind of happening um, in the world of UIKit in order to kind of have that full spectrum um, of the iOS um, development ecosystem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think it's even the same with a lot of people think that they can just kind of like learn um, Swift these days um, and then without knowing Objective-C. And you could probably go a long way without knowing Objective-C um, but or at least being able to read it. Um, but there, there might come a time where you work on some legacy code and you might have to fix some Objective-C. Um, and it's kind of also just good to know those the, the language itself also. Um because it will kind of let, let's say, make your um, make your life a little bit easier in terms of like working on code that might be a lot more legacy, even though you're still working on a lot more new things with Swift and Swift UI. Um, big companies generally have um, a lot of um, legacy code that still kind of runs today that's in Objective C. Yeah, even nowadays when you want to put a symbolic breakpoint in the debugger, you have to know uh, how to put it in the syntax of Objective-C. Yeah, also if you want to be a master, if you want to be a pro in uh, LLDB in, in the Xcode debugger, you have to know how yeah. to uh, use Objective-C. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, at some point, it even starts showing you some assembly code. <laughs> and okay, you kind yeah. Of have to, yeah, and then you're gonna have to like jump through memory addresses <laughs> and 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 go and go that deep. But I mean, generally, you don't need to know any kind of assembly. Um, but I mean, you make you make really really great points there. Um, in terms of the debug and all of that. So, um, I think I think definitely for our listeners out there, um, I think I think Swift UI is great. Um, Swift is amazing, but um, like you said, if you want to get your grasp um, on everything in the whole ecosystem, it is still worth learning um, uh, UIKit um, and also learning a little bit of Objective-C to make sure that you kind of have the full spectrum um, of um, Apple's iOS ecosystem as a developer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I think... um, if there's nothing else from your side um, that we haven't mentioned, um, where can people kind of find you on social media? Um, I did mention in the beginning that um, you are the creator of Swift UI Weekly, um, which is awesome, and you have a blog, but maybe you can just mention it again. Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter. You can uh, subscribe uh, Swift UI Weekly. You can find me actually on uh 
swiftismagic.com. So there you can find also the SwiftUI Weekly and uh, my Twitter account. So this is uh, swiftismagic.com. Okay, awesome. Well, yeah, Majid, thank you so much for joining us today um, on Talking With Apple's podcast. It was really awesome. Um, I learned a few things um, from you. And yeah, I hope that our listeners learned um, quite a bit. And hopefully we can talk about SwiftUI in the future. Again, maybe after WWDC, um, we'll talk a little bit about um, what's, what's, kind of what's happening and what's new in the SwiftUI world. Yeah, exactly. We have dubbed that pretty soon, so we can just uh, chat soon about new features that we'll have. Yeah, and uh, thank you for having me, PJ. Awesome. Thank you so much. And yeah, cheers. Cheers. Thank you for joining us on Talking with Apple's podcast. Cheers.